Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Welcome to the Bread of the Word podcast, a podcast striving to feast on God's Word and let the Bible speak to us all. Let us, as a former generation said, go ad fontes to the fountain and be nourished and sustained by all that God is. Let's dig in together. Hello, welcome back to yet another episode of the Bread of the Word podcast, where we go ad fontes to the fountain, to the Word of God, to be nourished and sustained by all that God is, as he's revealed himself to us. My name is Tyler, and we are once again in the book of Job. We are going to chapter 6 today. We will not be covering all of chapter 6. There's a lot packed into the book of Job, and one of the challenges I've had with... um, these sessions in Job is finding where where to start and stop, is finding where those natural divisions are, because we've got these massive chunks of poetry. And so here we're going to cover 13 verses, uh, roughly, roughly half, uh, maybe a third, of um, Job chapter 6. And this is the beginning of Job's response to Eliphaz, which we've spent two weeks with Eliphaz causing a lot of problems with Eliphaz pr- providing a lot of a lot of knowledge but not a lot of wisdom in, re- in re- response to the sufferings of Job. And so now we get to Job's response to the unhelpful sermon of Eliphaz, which had some, like I said, it had some true points. There were some things he said that were true, that were good, that just weren't helpful or applicable to what we see when we have all the facts. And so now Job is responding. So Job chapter 6, verse 1. Then Job answered, If only my grief could be weighed, and my devastation placed with it on the scales, for then it would outweigh the sand of the seas. That is why my words are rash. Surely the arrows of the Almighty have pierced me. My spirit drinks their poison. God's terrors are arrayed against me. Does a wild donkey bray over fresh grass? or an ox low over its fodder? Is bland food eaten without salt? Is there favor in an egg is there flavor in an egg white? I refuse to touch them. They are like contaminated food. If only my request would be granted, and God would provide what I hope for, that he would decide to crush me, to unleash his power and cut me off. It would still bring me comfort, and I would leap for joy in unrelenting pain. That I would not, that I have not denied, the words of the Holy One. What strength do I have, that I should continue to hope? What is my future, that I should be patient? Is my strength that of stone, or my flesh made of bronze? Since I cannot help myself, 
the hope for success has been banished from me. A lot of fun stuff. <clears throat> so, um, at, we will, of course, go back to the top and start breaking this down um, piece by piece. There's a lot of anguish in these lines. There's a lot of there's a lot of pain, a lot of sorrow, and in some ways it's it's reactionary. Right off the bat, if only my grief could be weighed and my devastation placed with it on the scales, for then it would outweigh the sand of the seas. That is why my words are rash. So we have had two chapters of Eliphaz. Providing his in, his insight from personal experience as to what Job should or shouldn't do, what Job is or isn't, and he's essentially set himself up as a mediator on Job's account, but he's not a mediator that is actually um, helpful. He's not a mediator that is able to sympathize with the one he's mediating for. And that's a that's a theme that we will see time and time again in Job, is the need for a good mediator, one who is my kinsman, which of course points us ahead to Christ, who ever lives to make intercession for us, but not as a stranger, but as one who has endured the same temptations that we have. That he's able to get on our level and intercede for us, having experienced what it is to be human and not sinning in the midst of it. But but back to Job. So Job <clears throat> says, If my grief could be weighed and my devastation placed with it on the scales, that with the analysis of Eliphaz, Job feels that he has been inaccurately weighed. Um, it says in Proverbs that the Lord detests a dishonest scale. And Job feels that he has been dealt a dishonest scale, that he has not been weighed adequately. Because his grief has not been weighed. If only my grief could be weighed and my devastation placed with it on the scales. To put his grief and the, the sufferings he has on the same scale, he says it would outweigh the sand of the sea. He says that is why my words are rash. Because if we flip back to Job chapter 4, I mean, Job chapter 5, he says, um, Eliphaz says, Call out, will anyone answer you? Which of the holy ones will you turn to? One of the things he says time and time again is, Why are you saying what you're saying, essentially? And so Job says, This is why I'm saying what I'm saying. This is why my words are rash, because the arrows of the Almighty have pierced me. My spirit drinks their poison. The arrows of the Almighty. Essentially, he, he portrays God as an archer who has set his sights on Job. That is a theme we see in a couple places. Um, we see this in Lamentations chapter 3, as, as a matter of fact. Um, another piece of anguish and sorrow and loss is Lamentations. But Lamentations 3 says, I am a man who has seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. 
He has driven me away and forced me to walk in darkness instead of light. Yet he repeatedly turns his hand against me all day long. He has worn away my flesh and skin. He has broken my bones. He has laid siege against me, encircling me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have been dead for ages. He has walled me in so I cannot get out. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I cry out and plead for help, he blocks out my prayer. He has walled in my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear waiting in ambush, a lion in hiding. He forced me off my way and tore me to pieces. He left me desolate. He strung his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. Similar language we see in Jeremiah. But the idea of the bow honestly takes us back to Genesis. After the flood. Because after the flood, when they get off the ark, God sets a bow in the sky. And we, we know that it's a rainbow. That's the idea that comes to mind. But to be literal to the idea is... The Hebrew is it's a bow, like an archer's bow. And you can kind of see that shape in what we know a rainbow to be. Um, <clears throat> so we have a warrior bow. We have a war bow as a sign of God's covenant that I will not destroy the earth by flood again. And because it's a covenant, there's there's like a flip side to it. And so the the rain. So if we keep the image of the of the bow, the bow is pointed up. It's not pointed down. That if this was an actual bow, it would be it would fire an arrow up, because it that's the way covenants worked in that Jewish context. Is if I am not faithful to uphold my end of the covenant, let this happen to me. And so in Genesis, the idea of a bow is communicated here as a sign of God's prominence, a sign of God's faithfulness. But here, and in Jeremiah. We have something else. We have a picture of God as something, maybe not the God, the God who keeps his covenant, but the God who doesn't make sense. The God who strikes me down. The arrows of the Almighty have pierced me. He has set my, his bow against me. He has walled me in and I cannot escape. <clears throat> And the name for God that Job uses in chapter 6, the arrows of, most translations say, the Almighty. In Hebrew, it's Shaddai. El Shaddai is one of the Hebrew names of God, and it quite literally means the overpower. It's not as common of a name as some of the other ones, but it's very... It's common prior to... Israel, which I think feeds into the idea that Job is a much older book. This is pre the writing of Genesis, this is pre Exodus, but he identifies him as the overpowerer, which fits into the mindset of Job right now that he has been dealt a bad hand by God. He has been struck down by God, that God is not for him that God is actually actively working against him, 
that God has it out for him. The arrows of the overpowerer have pierced me, and I drink their poison. God's terrors are against me. In verse 5, we get into a bit of a poetic picture of what he's just described in very literal terms now. <clears throat> Does a wild donkey bray over fresh grass, or an ox low over its fodder? We would say, duh, yes, of course. Verse 6, is bland food eaten without salt? No. Is there flavor in an egg white? No. It says, I refuse to touch them. They are like contaminated food. So that we're so we're talking about things that are flavorless. We're talking about needs. So, the donkey brays over fresh grass, over being sustained and provided for. And also bland food that doesn't have a taste. He says, I don't touch them. They're like contaminated food. This is a picture of his mindset. That he, of, he is not in a good place, mentally. Verse 8, If only my request would be granted, and God would provide me what I hope for, that he would decide to crush me, to unleash his power, and cut me off. So, I don't want food. I don't want sustenance. I don't want to be provided for. I want to die. That is the cry of Job here. I desire for God to kill me. That he would decide to crush me. To unleash his power and cut me off. And that's language that points us to... In, in later books, points us ahead to circumcision. With this idea of being separated from the world and separated to God. But here is this idea of being separated from God. To be cast aside. To be crushed and cast aside. He says, it would bring me comfort. And I would leap for joy in unrelenting pain. That I have not denied the words of the Holy One. It would better for, it would be better for me to die, says Job, knowing that I have not cursed the name of God, than to continue to suffer for sins I did not commit. In a sense, he thinks that death would bring him vindication. Why? Because he can't keep going. Verse 11, what strength do I have that I should continue to hope? What is my future that I should be patient? And that's, that's honest. This is, Job is a hard book. It is. Job is a lot of ideas, full of ideas that we don't always like to give time to. With suffering and anguish, and agony, and how God fits into that. There's this beautiful little phrase at the end of the Gospel of John, <clears throat> where Jesus tells Peter that you will, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and others will clothe you, and they will take you where you do not want to go. 
And after that, it says, He told him this to show him by what kind of death he would glorify God. That is not something I think about as often as I should. That's not something most of us think about. How do I die to the glory of God? How do I suffer and die for God's glory? I've gotten acquainted and I've grown accustomed to using this phrase on the on bread of the word, um, memento mori, memento vitae. If you've been listening for a while, I started throwing that around when we were in Ecclesiastes, talking about vanity and the things of the earth are dust and vanity and, and vapor, it's smoke, it's here and gone. And memento mori, memento vitae is, is Latin. And it literally means, remember you must die. Remember you must live. And we as believers will do both of those things in Christ, as people united with Christ. So when we suffer, we suffer in Christ. We live in Christ. We die in Christ. Hebrews 11 gives us a list of people that are a testimony to the power of God to save by faith. And it says, all these people died in faith. So back to Job. What strength do I have that I should continue to hope? Job is unsure of things getting better. Job is unsure of things working out. I and myself do not have the strength to continue. So why should I continue to hope? What strength do I really have in this to continue to endure these emotional beatings? To continue to suffer the grief of losing my family, my livelihood, my health? To suffer the accusations of various accusers, various Satan figures... That is beyond my power to endure. Is my strength that of stone, verse 12, or my flesh made of bronze? Since I cannot help myself, the hope for success has been banished from me. This is where he sits. This man questioning whether or not hope does remain. And maybe that is where some of some of us are today. What strength do I have? What 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 is there to hope in? And to that, let us flip over to a small book in the Old Testament called Obadiah. I've been reading Obadiah this week and it just came alive for me. Obadiah is a hard book, as you can probably figure. It's not a common book. Um, it's actually the shortest book in the entire Old Testament. It takes up about three pages in my super giant print Bible. But the, the idea of Obadiah <clears throat> is that Edom has become a thorn in the side of Israel. They have 
overtaken them, they have exploited them, they have built themselves up in pride and arrogance because they have taken the stuff. And so verse 2 says, Look, I will make you insignificant among the nations, and you will be deeply despised. Your arrogant heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock. In your home on the heights, who say to yourself, Who can bring me down to the ground? Though you seem to soar like an eagle, and make your nest among the stars, even from there I will bring you down. This is the Lord's declaration, which does not have the same bite as the King James rendering, Thus saith the Lord. I am the one who will do this. I will bring you down. Likewise, Job feels that he has been brought down by God. Verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near against all nations. All nations, not just Edom. Now we're big picture. God is God, is God and he is sovereign over the whole world. The day of the Lord is near against all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. What you deserve will return on your own head. Notice it says return, not immediate, but I guess you could say what goes around comes around. As it says in Galatians, we reap what we, we, reap what we sow. As you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and gulp down and be as though they had never been. But... There will be a deliverance on Mount Zion, and it will be holy. The house of Jacob will dispossess those who dispossessed them. And that idea of dispossession goes back to Joshua, when they conquered Jericho. Because in that time period, it was common when people went to war to pillage and plunder and take from the people they conquered. But when Joshua leads the armies to take cities, to take land like that, when they go to Jericho, when they go to certain nations, they didn't plunder and pillage. With Jericho, they didn't take anything. There was one guy that did, and he was stoned for it. He brought judgment on Israel for doing so. Um, and it's a, it's a kind of warfare that, that scholars call harem warfare. I'm probably slaughtering the Hebrew there. But the idea is that it's <clears throat> it's a different kind of warfare because you're not taking the profits. You're not taking the spoils. It is solely because of God's judgment on that nation. That you are dispossessing the land, but you're not taking the land. You're not taking all the good stuff. You're just taking them out of the picture. And it's because Israel, in some ways, was a vessel of God's judgment on these nations that were so grotesquely fallen. Because whenever the nations worship other gods, it always leads to exploiting the weak and vulnerable. Whenever they go after Baal, whenever they dedicate things to Moloch, or whatever um, you want to fit in there, whenever any people in the Old Testament go from the worship of the true God to the worship of idols, that is its logical end, is oppression and exploitation. <clears throat> and so they, these, some of these nations were dispossessed 
through Joshua and the Israelites. Likewise, the house of Jacob will dispossess those who dispossessed them. And the house of Jacob will be a blazing fire, and the house of Joseph a burning flame. But the house of Esau will be stubble. Jacob will set them on fire and consume Edom. Therefore no survivor will remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. People from the Negev will possess the hill country of Esau. Those from the Judean foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will possess the territories of Ephraim and Samaria, while Benjamin will possess Gilead. The exiles of the Israelites who are in Halah and who are among the Canaanites as far as the Zarephath, as well as the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad, will possess the cities of the Negev. And saviors will ascend Mount Zion to rule over the hill country of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. So, this is the proclamation of, of God's judgment on Edom, and by default, all nations that do not bow the knee. But it is also a proclamation of God's continued faithfulness to deliver his people. There will be a deliverance on Mount Zion, and it will be holy. And likewise, Job is suffering. Job does not see the light at the end of the tunnel. Job does not have the strength to continue. And just like Elijah, the remedy is for God to provide him strength to keep going, to trust that God is still in control. God is still good. And that ultimately, this is playing out for his glory. That there is deliverance for Job. And it will be holy. And so the, when the question is asked, what strength do I have that I should continue to hope? The Lord shall be our strength. says in Nehemiah, do not be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. That what God does in us what God gives us from himself is our strength. Because there is no joy outside of God, because that's part of who he is. So likewise, let us derive our strength from the God who gives it. What is my future? That I should be patient. God is our future. He is Alpha and He is Omega. He is the first Greek letter and He is the last. We are bookended by the character Is my strength that of stone, or my flesh made of bronze? Since I cannot help myself, the hope for success has been banished from me. Because our hope lies in the person of God, not in myself.
So in conclusion, let's, let's go to God for strength, for hope, for a future. That passage in Lamentations 3, he has set his bow against me, goes on to say, this I, rem I call to mind, and therefore I, I have hope. It is the Lord's heart's mercies that I am not consumed. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Let us rest in that. That when suffering comes, that God is still faithful. God is still good. God will never stop providing for his people. Because that's what we are, is we are his people. He didn't go anywhere. He didn't take off. We are his. My beloved is mine, and I am his. You are, you are our potter. You are our father. We are the clay, and we are all the work of your hands. So God continues to, as much as I don't like the language of God shows up, God continues to show up. Because while he didn't go anywhere, but he continues to make himself known, even when we're not looking. So what strength do I have? I have God. I have the God who made the heavens and the earth and the dry land and the sea who made the dragons in the sea who made the the particles in the clouds and yet he has been delighted to make himself known to me and in good times and in bad times he does not change and I can have hope I can trust in him even when I have no strength. Thank you for listening. This has been the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is a podcast ministry striving to feed people the wonderful words of God, book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse, striving to let the word speak for itself. This ministry is also a member of the Truth and Love Network, a diverse fellowship of fellow podcasts of different theological backgrounds united in the gospel of God. For more from the Bread of the Word podcast or the Truth and Love Network, check out the links below and follow us on social media. Until next time, God bless. Matthew 4.4.